Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. Follow us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod. Head to Facebook, give the page over there a like. Also, click the links in the description so you can follow us on all of our social media accounts. And uh, I'm going to keep banging this drum because I think it's really uh, worthwhile. You know, if you're using Spotify or something like that, that's great. But you really need to give that YouTube app a try because what I learned is, you know, the uh, Inside the Thunder was a video only like YouTube exclusive. Well, on the YouTube music app, you're able to listen to those via audio. So you don't have to necessarily be in front of a screen. You can run that right through your car stereo only on the YouTube music app. So there's another way to consume those episodes audio only. Russ, it was a massively busy week in Hurt Athletics. We had SBC championships, tournaments. Uh, There was some accolades being handed out, and we've got a lot more other stuff to talk about outside of those things. So we need to get into this. We've got a ton a ton we have to cover. We're going to sum up the portal up to this point, football recruiting-wise, and then some other news and notes. So let's get it going first off with a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been injured in a car wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. What happens when an Ohio driver crashes into a West Virginia driver in Kentucky? That can be a mess. But if you can dream it up, Jason and Matt have probably been there, done that, and gotten their clients paid. Don't fight the insurance companies alone. Contact Jason and Matt at 304carwreck.com. Well, it is a insert odd number of things here, but let's get it rolling with at least five things every Herd fan needs to know this week. All right, this week we bring you nine things every Herd fan needs to know this week. As always, brought to you by Ignite Link, the Tri State's premier IT management team. Number one, who else? Macy Majoy adds to her SBC championships by winning gold in the outdoor pole vault. That uh, adds to the indoor pole vault, where she was the first ever martial champion in the Sun Belt. Yeah, so she's the, now the first two individual yeah. athletes to win an SBC championship. And I got to say, I'm going to pat myself on the back on that one. I called that one going in. I felt really good about that. But it was interesting, right? There was a three-way tie atop the standings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the top three vaulters all nailed the, the same height. I think it was like 3.98 or 3.96. I think the caveat it was, was Macy got it on her first attempt and the others took more than one to get it. That's why mm-hmm. she ultimately uh, was crowned with the gold medal in the pole vault. And also all three tried at a higher height and none were successful, obviously. So that's kind of how that one worked out. We ended up taking gold and bronze in the pole vault. So uh, I, I, you got to think that the herd pole vault is in, I guess, good shape for the next number of years. So congratulations to uh, Macy Majoy. That's that's just awesome, man. The first two. It was cool enough to be the first one. So now the trivia answer is is uh, extended. She's the first two athletes to win an individual SBC championship. 
and you know, as a team, we've still not won one. So right. she's the the first ever of any kind. Just for anyone that doesn't keep track of that. Uh, also, number two, Micah Lane wins gold in the outdoor four hundred meter hurdles and breaks the school record doing so. I, well, I can't say that I saw that one coming. Uh, I don't think that you did. You know, we talk about track and field quite a bit, and that wasn't one of those disciplines that we thought i think we can take this one so she just ran a hell of a kick-ass race and and uh came out on top so uh, two individual champions pretty awesome several other you know uh, you know bronze uh, some some decent team finishes but having two individual champions is pretty good stuff man super super big time in the outdoor 400 um michael lane seemed like she was like on the cusp of making something happen and i'm just really happy for her that that was that she was able to capture a sunbelt individual championship man congratulations yeah and setting that uh that school record in the process i mean uh, this is not a thing but you know track and field posted the new leaderboard and there have been was it nine i think it was nine nine new uh, numbers on that that just happened this year and mm-hmm. several of those had been broken multiple times so right. we're looking at probably well over a dozen different records that have been said it's just in the category some of them were broken more than once because how many times do we talk about uh brett breaking a record or uh um Abby kylie, kylie maston said yeah. a couple broke a couple three, of three in a records. row three in yeah. a row i think so so yeah we we may be up to 20 or more records that were broken this year. Uh, but nine new atop the leaderboard, that was impressive as well. All right, number three, Marshall is heading to Ohio State for the 2024 football season. That will be on September 21st. I think that's awesome. I mean, of yeah. course, we've kind of known about that for a little while, but uh, the news came out to the fan base as a whole. And just as we had figured that kind of sent shockwaves through the fan base a little bit, they got really excited about that because that's Mm -hmm. one of those really marquee opportunities to go up there and make some big time noise on a Mm -hmm. national stage as, as big as the win at Notre Dame was, and we're never going to diminish that. Right. You, you can't argue that going into the horseshoe and beating Ohio State wouldn't be more impressive because it, it would, would be. be. Yeah. It would be. As and, impressive uh, as it would have been, I was up there in 2004, and yeah. we almost won that game famously. As impressive as it would have been back then, college landscape has changed so much mm-hmm. to where Ohio State, even though they have always been that blue blood, right, it has just changed so much more that those top three to five teams that you see every year – beating them especially at their house means a lot more than it did 20 years ago yeah the gap between the haves the kind of haves and the Mm have-nots is just so big doing it in 2004 would have been huge doing it Mm -hmm. in 2024 will be nothing short of monumental yeah and uh, just as just as we took down notre dame last year nothing is out of the realm of possibility because you don't know what can happen, right? Marshall can catch lightning in a bottle and, you know, put together another fine performance like we saw in South Bend. 
create a few turnovers here and there, cause an injury and knock starting quarterback out of the game. And you never know, right? It's just one of those things. But, man, there is no better opportunity to put your school on the map immediately for any given football season than to go into Columbus, Ohio, and get a win. Agreed. Agreed. I I mean, uh, if you could come up with a, a top five right now, I think Ohio State would be in it. You know, of, oh, yeah. of, the, of those schools. I don't think anyone could argue as much as they may be a homer for whatever uh, national team that they root for. Uh, I don't think that anyone would leave Ohio State out of the top five. Are you uh, talking about like teams to beat to put eyeballs on your team that year? The, the top five teams that would be quote unquote the teams sure. every single year, year out. I don't see Ohio State on anybody's board going below five. No, uh, I mean, if you're talking about perennial, that's a perennial yeah. playoff team. Yeah. Per, yeah. Like every year. They have to, things have to happen for them not to make it, right? Because if they just now, win, do, they're in. Do I like them? Am I championing for that? No. no. I, you know, <laughs> I do not. Uh, I think that especially one year out of 12 games, they had nine home games. And right. you know what I mean? It's the the deck is stacked in their favor. Uh, so I am not championing for them. I'm just saying that perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And if you knock off an Ohio State, a, a Clemson now versus right. beating them in 99 is totally different. Georgia, uh, we played them very well in 2003, I think it was. And uh, it's just totally different now. Right. Uh, Bama now versus back then is different. So it's just different. Beating them in 2024 would be one of those that you cannot buy that press that you right. would get. Right. Well, look, let's look at it even in a smaller scale. We're going to have an opportunity to take on a really good NC State team this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to diminish that. If you go down to Raleigh and you win that game, that's going to raise some eyebrows. But it's that's not the same as going to Columbus and beating the Buckeyes. Right. Even, still very impressive wins, mm-hmm. right? Not trying to take anything away from NC State. I think they're going to be really good this year. It's just two different categories of eliteness, right? Yeah. I mean, Ohio State is in one of the top four, five, six teams. I mean, we can't, we're not going to go to USC and play, right? right. We're not going to go to Oklahoma, I don't think, and play, or Texas really and play. So these East Coast-based teams, we have four of them that are kind of on the cream of the crop type deal. That's one of them. So you have to be ready for that. And and being able to pull off a victory in Columbus, it's just as much as we celebrate Notre Dame, they would celebrate this Ohio State victory harder, I think. And let's take it a step further. It's two and a half hours from most of the people that live here in the tri-state to get up yeah. there to that stadium. Uh, a lot of people might not even have to get a hotel room. There are a lot of people that are fans that live much closer, yep. you know, that are in that uh, uh, region up there of Ohio or coming over from Cincinnati or Northern Kentucky or wherever it is, it's not that far of a drive. We have a lot of fans that live right in Columbus. So um, it's going to be an easy trip. And I think that that is by far the closest power that we can ever play unless the landscape just drastically changes again. Ohio State is going to be that closest big time team that we can play. Yeah, and it's going to be a really hard ticket to get. We we know mm-hmm. that the allotment is going to be extremely small yeah. for a stadium that seats over 100,000 people or will cram in over 100,000 people. So we by no means will have a huge contingency of fans in the grand scheme of overall attendance there. But I guarantee you that every ticket that we have will go to a herd fan. 
Mm. We were told that, right? We, we were told that during an interview, and uh, I believe that. So it's going to be tough to get your hands on those, but um, it's going to make for an unbelievably awesome invite. Hell, I think people will just go to Columbus just to be in the city on game day, whether you have a ticket or not. Well, I was there both years that we played in uh, 04 and then in 2010. And uh, where I sat in 04 was much better than where I sat in 2010. Uh, but um, there was an unbelievable amount, a contingent of herd fans in both. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were loud, but you're drowned out by the 90 some percent. Ohio State fans that are there. (laughs) But we are definitely going to go up. We're going to make noise, and uh, it's going to be a fun time. And it's going to help recruiting, right? We're going to have a lot of people in that area that are going to get exposed to Marshall and uh, or reacquainted with them. Yeah, reacquainted is a good word. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Number four, today is the two-year. You'll be watching this on Tuesday. So it's the two-year anniversary of the men's soccer national championship game uh where we won and the schedules are out now coinciding with that date for mm-hmm. men and women's team you can find that on herd zone uh i don't know if you have it in front of you and you want to talk about any of the <laughs> of the things but we can do that also coinciding that means that season tickets are on sale for both we encourage everyone to go all in the same way that it did with uh football um You can go all in with men's soccer and get tickets for women's soccer. And then also coinciding is we're auctioning off the game-worn jersey from Jamil Roberts, who scored that epic goal to give us the national championship. Yeah, first of all, we are not doing that. (laughs) We, Marshall, (laughs) are doing that. The Big Green is doing that, actually, and there's a link to that. Uh, I've tweeted it out a couple of times. It's floating around there. It's probably been in your in your inbox if you're a big green member. But uh, starting bid on that thing is five thousand and seventeen dollars, and I think folks are like, "What?" But I mean, it's it's kind of a purposeful thing. May seventeenth, five thousand seventeen dollars. The date we did we won the title, so that's kind of the uh, reason that it's starting so high. Yeah. But you have to look, let's go with that and work our way backwards, right? Let, let's right. go with that jersey. To me, that's going to be one of those uh, Holy Grail type pieces of herd memorabilia, right? Uh, there, there are probably a short list and everybody has some things that they would put on that. But in a grand scheme, that's got to be one of those pieces because Jamil Roberts had an unbelievable college cup. Three straight game-winning goals and then the one, of course, like to uh, win the national championship. So... Um, I wondered what happened to that jersey. I wondered if it, like they gave it to him or the team got him or whatever. I, I but it's um, resurfaced now and it's framed. I saw the I went to the link page or the page to the link today and saw the uh, auction landing site and it's framed and you know it's already done up really nice. But that's got to be one of those that shoots right to the top, man. I mean, right to the top. There, we'll have other opportunities to you know, uh, I guess create. Um, Holy Grail pieces, but that's a national championship winning jersey by the guy who kicked the winning goal. So, well, and he kicked it. So, what happened to the left cleat 
You know, that's what that's uh, a good point. That's, that's a good uh, point. Maybe that's going to be the five or 10 year or maybe that cleat is gone forever. We don't know, but <laughs> maybe he just rolled out of the building with them and just really didn't. You know, it's like, well, these are my cleats. I'm just leaving. And, yeah. you know, maybe after the fact, you're like, wait a minute. These are kind of a poignant piece of history here for for the herd fandom. But anyway, you can get in on that if you if you feel like uh, making your making your taking your shot at a at a major, major piece of herd memorabilia. Uh, yes, and tickets, season tickets are out, renewals are out, and first-time season ticket deposits are out. I went ahead and renewed ours, right? And we went all in. All again. in. We're going all in. Every chance that we can go all in, we're doing so. So what does that mean for fans? Well, it means that we're going to be giving away two tickets to every single men's and women's home soccer match this season yet again and we are in section 102 row three right on the aisle so you're going to have a great seat right down low and if you need to stretch out just a little bit you can stretch your leg out into the aisle you know that's kind of mm -hmm. how i like to roll give you a little extra room so i i recommend i've thoroughly highly whatever adjective you want to put in there encourage you to renew those season tickets early yeah um because they're also asking if you want to make a seat change so get your renewals in uh, re re up your season tickets, put your deposits down. We've got a great slate. So now let's talk about that. First off out of the gate, you have several opportunities to make a weekend out of herd soccer and herd football. So let's mm -hmm. go through that weekend opportunities will be Xavier at home. And um, that coincides with the home opener for football against Albany. Mm -hmm. Then uh, later in the season, you'll have an opportunity against UCF at home at the vet. And that coincides with the Virginia tech home football game. That's that's two great weekends right there that you can really um, ensconce yourself in herd sports. UCF was a top 25 team last year. Don't know if that'll translate into the same this year, but it should be a good matchup. Yep. And then one more opportunity that kind of gives you the chance to make a long weekend out of it. If you want to look at it that way, uh, the midweek football game against James Madison gets paired up with that home soccer match against the university of Kentucky. You know, that's going to be a hot ticket to get against uh, UK. So that is a unbelievable opportunity there to make a long weekend out of a midweek football game and a marquee home soccer match. And of course, the last one you got to talk about is the Mountain State Derby will be taking place in Morgantown this year on October 18th. So there are a lot and that's just a handful of games, right? There's still some other interesting SBC matchups that we'll yep. have to play. That's just opportunities to pair a couple of games with a couple mm -hmm. of sports together. So uh, we also the, got September 5th at Pitt and uh, that will be uh, you know, not only has that traditionally been a, a good game back and forth and they have traditionally been a, a good program but jao souza is now up at pit so that's a, another little interesting matchup that we're going to have yeah and if you want to talk about women's soccer schedule real quick they've got 17 games on the slate 10 of those are at the vet mm -hmm. including a five game homestand between august 31st and september 17th so you have basically a two and a half week period to where you can get your butt to the vet and catch a game at least once. In not to mention, we'll be giving away tickets to all those. So right. we making it. We're going to be making it really easy for you to get over there to do that. Uh, Include included in the home slate is reigning Sun Belt Conference champion 
Old Dominion, which is going to be on sep- or not September 5th, October 5th. So mm-hmm. there's some other good games in there. Several of the tournament teams are coming to the vet this year, including, I think, a rematch. Who was it that eliminated us last year? I can't remember if it was like Georgia State or something. I don't remember who it was. I'd have to go back and look at it, but. I think it it may have been Georgia State, and uh, we have Georgia State at home. We go to Georgia Southern, but at home you're going to get uh, High Point, Ohio University, uh, Gardner Webb, uh, Little Miami, Liberty, ULM, South Alabama, defending champ Old Dominion, Georgia State, and Coastal Carolina all coming to the vet this year. That's a pretty good slate for the women, and uh, since we've gone all in, tickets are going to be available. I'm I am already ready to give away a bunch of tickets this year because that was a lot of fun last year. It was. It was. And we we hope to continue to do that for as long as we can, not just our first year and not just now this year, but we hope to always be able to add a little bit of something to our fans and hopefully make some new fans because they get a ticket for free. Maybe they take their kids, creates new fans, and they say, hey, let's get tickets of our own next year. Yep. This was worth it. I'm going to do it again. All right, so number five, Stephen Gilmore signed with the Detroit Lions. We saw that well earlier uh, in the week, but uh, we haven't recorded in a while. So Mm -hmm. uh, we definitely want to talk about that a little bit. You had mentioned several different times how qualified this guy was to make an NFL roster. He's got the pedigree. um, He's got the intangibles. uh, He makes the big plays, and... We were wondering, hey, why hasn't anybody got him? Well, they have now. Yeah, heads up to Detroit. And that fell kind of under the radar. I saw sure. that from a tweet of somebody that was like with Steven. It wasn't right. a tweet of Stevens. Right. And I thought, wow, well, good for him. And then, you know, several days later, the Detroit Lions Twitter account posted like some recent signings. Mm-hmm. And, and Gilmore was on there. So that's kind of confirmed. It's not just rumor that that did happen. It actually happened. Mm-hmm. My only thought is, why in the hell are all the NFC North teams signing these guys for Marshall that I may have to face as a Packers fan? You got Bo Plan going to Minnesota. And now you got uh, Gilmore in Detroit. And not that this really relates Marshall wise, but the Bears drafted Darnell Wright, the Huntington kid. So damn it, I'm like surrounded by all this local talent. And Green Bay didn't do anything for me. Nothing. They didn't give me one guy to root for from a from a herd a roster or locally. At least you will get to watch those uh players twice playing your team every well, year true. at a minimum. So if they make the 53 man roster, I mean Wright will, but if if Bo Plan and, and Gilmore make the 53 man, you know, uh you're right, I will. I'm hoping, selfishly, I don't mean anything against you guys, right? No, no, nothing against you, Abe, nothing against you, Steven. I hope you don't get signed by those two, but put enough on film to where somebody else signs you so that I don't have to see you terrorize my team twice a year. Maybe you can go somewhere you can have a, a more impactful career. I'd love to see you stick somewhere just not playing against my team. Number six, uh, we're going to talk about some commitments here, but we're going to leave out football because that's going to be our feature. Yeah. So Marshall picks up commitments from Malachi Goebel in track, Tamia Lawhorn in women's basketball, and Elias Amash in men's soccer. Uh, I saw these, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malachi Goebel, track, local kid. Mm-hmm. Gotta love that. 
Um, to me, a Lawhorn is just the next in the string of uh, Kim Stevens signings. This roster transformation is really underway. What is that like? Mm-hmm. Three or four players now? I think four. I mean, we're we're in the midst of what seems to be. I don't want to call it a roster overhaul, but I think we know that there are large changes afoot. I mean, what do you have mm-hmm. on a roster? Twelve. That's already third, a third. Th- a third I of the roster. I think it's thirteen. Uh, okay. So you get, but still right at a third. Yeah, you're flirting with a third and I'm sure she's not finished yet. So we could we could be honestly looking at half of the roster being turned around mm-hmm. uh when it's all said and done. Of course, we don't know that. We're just sure. speculating. If you've got four this early, you'd like to think there's probably a few more coming down the line. Um and then um uh, he's the is he the younger brother? Okay, yeah. cuz I saw somebody so, tweet that. I tried to do some research and all I kept getting same name was a professional player in Spain. So if you actually go to uh, his brother's profile on Herd Zone, which I did, it lists that he has four siblings and yes. this is the youngest of them. Yes. But when I searched just that name, I kept getting a pro player from Spain and I was like, well, that's obviously not who it is. <laughs> but there was really nothing else. I couldn't find anything else. But uh, so we're all, you know, we're hitting it on. All fronts, you know, everybody's out recruiting and uh, they ain't the only ones, you know, there's some seasons just ended and, and, you know, recruiting has opened up and the portal window just opened for, you know, softball as well. So we'll see if there's some stuff going on there, but baseball is going to be ramping up. I mean, there should be a lot of recruiting news that's coming in because we're getting into that off season, summer season, camp season type thing to where this news just starts floating around there more often and more often, but I love it, man. I, I love seeing track and field signings. I love seeing uh, these sports that uh, historically we haven't followed recruiting with. I mm-hmm. like seeing the trajectories of those programs. I remember we got really invested in the tennis class. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what turned it on for me last year was the tennis class. And now I just enjoy seeing what we're doing, who we're going after, like, where are we going geographically to find these athletes for our other sports? And it's just interesting to me. Recruiting is just an interesting science to me as it is. So I'm glad I get to expand that to enjoyment of other sports for the herd. Now, as we move on for the rest of our things for this week, uh, it's important to note that the last week's episode loaded right after Mm -hmm. news broke of who were and were not the players of the year in the Sunbelt Conference for softball. So let's talk about one award that we won, and then we can branch off from that for a little discussion <laughs> if you'd like to. Uh, number seven thing this week is Sydney Bickle was named SBC Newcomer of the Year. Yeah, deserved. Yeah. Very, very deserved. We talked many, many times over the course of the season at her presence at shortstop defensively mm-hmm. what it did to transform that her defense uh this was just a, a very very deserved award and i'm gonna say the only deserved award of the ones that were of the four major ones that were yeah. handed out yeah and uh, and what she brought to the uh number two spot of the lineup as well the speed that she had up there she led uh i think tied for the lead in the NCAA with nine triples. Um, Just helping set the table with all the batting average and on-base percentage, crazy stats from our top four in the lineup. Um, That just 
is a recipe for a lot of runs. You know, yep. we had that high powered offense and she was a part of it, but slick fielding around uh short uh, it's worth noting for anybody out there that has never been followers of fielding percentage errors, that sort of thing uh, for baseball and softball by far your most are usually at the shortstop. So the fact that she had so many errors sprinkled in, there's a lot more chances. It's a longer throw most of the time. You know, it's uh, things up the middle. She made so many plays this year that robbed hits or prevented additional bases, uh, helped snag outs to get out of jams. And we had that from all over the infield. We had a very good defensive infield. We had a great outfield defensively as well. Uh, and autumn behind the plate. So it was defense top to bottom, but she seemed to be that defensive captain, in my opinion, of her style at short. Well, I mean, if you look at it, right, from the left, up the middle to the left, all four of those players were first-team All-Sun Belt Conference, right? Mm -hmm. Autumn, Sid, uh, Sid Nestor, um, Bick, and Grace. All four mm -hmm. of them, first-team yeah. All-Conference. So, if historically, if you're strong up the middle, then you're going to be a strong defensive team. And Marshall yeah. was definitely strong up the middle. Uh, it, it, I can't, uh, I can't be happier for her because you know mm -hmm. the triple thing is is just a one of those wild stats, right? Because triples are hard to get, and they are, and, and to notch nine is a big deal. Mm -hmm. But there's other things for me that that fall, you know, maybe out they won't fall on the stat sheet, but it's like the the ability to get the ball out of your glove quickly so that you can turn two, mm -hmm. whereas if you can't do it as quickly, you might just get the lead runner, right? Mm -hmm. It's little things like that that really contributed to like you said getting out of jams at times so there's there's just these little skills that are far more polished than what the average fan may pay attention to and it's stuff like that that i can really appreciate about her and even getting to balls that other people wouldn't get to so it might not be uh an error for that person but their range is not going to be as good to even make a play on it she robbed a lot of hits on line drives uh of catching the ball over her shoulder or, you know, jumping to catch a, what could have been a gapper for two bases could have been runs. Um, it's just one of those things on defense. They, they come out with whatever, and I'm talking about baseball, softball, any diamond sport, they come out with all these different uh, ways to try to quantify it. But for me, an eye test does just about as good as anything that you can ever come up with. And it's just hard because you would have to watch every inning, every play of every game across every league to do that. And that's why yeah. they try to come up with some kind of stat to to compare. But the eye test, when you watch her, she's slick. She has the footwork down. She's got a great arm. So it was a tremendous um, addition to this club. Sure was. It was a it was a well deserved award. She was the newcomer of the year. Yeah. She just was. All right, so uh, those others, before we move on, let's talk about those. Yeah, on let's who do that. Did, who did not win. Let's start with uh, Triple Crown pitching uh, winner, Sid Nestor, who did not get Pitcher of the Year and did not get a single Pitcher of the Week all year long. But when she goes head-to-head -head with the winner of the Sunbelt Conference Pitcher of the Year, comes out on top in that matchup with a better pitched game. So Go figure. 
What do you know about that? I think one of the things we learned this season, uh, hopefully it doesn't continue, but the Sunbelt Conference really um, had a unfair bias against their current teams for this year. It's like almost, almost like they were like, listen, it doesn't matter how good you knew three or four teams are. And this was across a lot of all sports, not just softball. It's like no matter how good you guys are, we're not going to give you the proper credit. Right, we're we're just going to downplay everything, and we saw that in awards voting this year. Um, but you know, it is what it is, right? We can't gripe about that. I mean, we can gripe about it, but it ain't going to change anything. Well, but you win the triple crown, and you're not the pitcher of the year. What the hell are you doing? What what they say? Well, the coaches voted on it. Well, so I mean, I don't understand that. Here's my take. So it was the coaches, and I think that the bias was actually toward the. Uh, Western division. And I think that the top teams on average are probably better in the West than, than they are in the East. So I think that Marshall's schedule, we didn't play many people on the West, you know, uh, so they didn't get to see us. So those coaches, I've heard fans say that. I've heard coaches say that as well. We didn't really get to watch their games, you know. So they're looking at stats and I feel like they said, and I feel like they're wrong. I'm not agreeing with them, but I feel like they said, Oh, they had the 260th uh, strength of schedule. Oh, they obviously padded their stats. No, the every game you could pencil in pretty much a complete game workhorse mm-hmm. from Sydney Nestor. And if she gave up two runs, that was atypical. You know, her, what was it, 1.08, was it? Yeah, and I think that actually fell a, a, a little bit, maybe to around 1.04 or 1.03. So just, yeah. a, just a tick over one. Yeah, so it, it's one of those things of, you know, if you can pitch, you can pitch. Yep. It's not like that she was uh, pitching against the teams, only the teams that we should have beat up on. Every team that we played, look what she did against Alabama through five innings. They had gotten one hit and did not sniff a run. Mm-hmm. Um, look at uh, Virginia Tech, who was ranked at the time. You know, shut them down, gave them one run. Um, she pitched well against everybody, and it was maybe three games out of the year that you just said, well, that was just a an atypical performance for her. You know, she gave up three runs or four runs or whatever which are going to happen when you pitch 30 times plus, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't see any way, and I know that it's by the coaches, but I don't see any way now that they can say, well, that program, I'm going to treat them the same way next year. And when it comes to voting, I'm going to dismiss them. I don't think that we'll get dismissed now. Now, will some fans do that? Yeah, because I still see them on Twitter saying that, but I don't yeah. care what any fan says. Yeah, that's that's fans. I mean, fans yeah. are going to do that. People are going to say that about us. Well, you're just right. homer, homers for Marshall. And while we are, you just can't deny statistically what you're seeing. You can't do sure. it. Sid goes toe-to-toe with everybody's Friday starter. That's yeah. their number one pitcher. So she's facing everybody's number one. Also, it's not like you're in these slugouts where you're winning 10 to 9 every game. Right. It's not yeah. that. It's like they're lucky to get a run. So it's not like she's getting battered every game in and game out, and we just have to outscore people. That's not yeah. what we were seeing. 
mm-hmm. were outscoring the hell out of people a vast percentage of the season, and she was just shutting them down anyway. Yeah. I mean, if you lead in strikeouts and you're way up there in innings pitched and you let in wins, I mean, what what more do you want? And you go against the Sun Belt Conference Pitcher of the Year in the tournament. Both girls had pitched complete games the, the day before. Mm-hmm. One exited early, one did not. And the mm-hmm. other one, or not the other one, but the one that stayed in the game and pitched a complete game notched the victory. And if not for one uh, home run hit in the title game, who knows how that one goes. Right. You know, that was a pitcher's duel, and that was Sid's third straight start after two straight complete games yeah. what what more do you want what more there's obviously at this point there's nothing she can do to prove that she was the best pitcher in the league there's there yeah. was there's nothing you can prove you're you just don't want to hear it you don't want to see it so right. i feel bad for her because she's an all-timer and i know she's she's not going to tell us well you know it's about awards it's it's always been a, it, it's not about that for her but still being recognized for what you accomplished on some level is important is important and we can't just be the only ones and the only fan base that appreciates what she did there had to be other teams that faced her that went Jiminy christmas she's at times unhittable right yeah. so it's just unfair that that this whole scenario went down from a pitching standpoint and equally as unfair how player of the year went yeah so let's transition into that triple crown award winner autumn owen uh, again, not just compiling these stats against weak opponents. Uh, she was very consistent all year round with no matter if it was in league play, if it was against Alabama, if it was against uh, Virginia Tech, she produced all year round. Uh, one thing that you mentioned on Twitter, she and we've talked about on the show, she caught every inning after the second week of the season, like just a handful of games in, uh, she started catching every single inning of every single game. She is the one that we talked about that runs from the dugout, uh, to get behind the plate. She runs, uh, out every walk. She's just, she's a hustler. Uh, she had the stats, she had the makeup and, I'm sorry what they said about uh, their justifications for Carly Heath. That just doesn't play for me. I feel like, again, it was Western Division bias because those coaches all got to see her play and did mm-hmm. not get only one, two, possibly. Yeah, ULM and uh, Texas State Texas State got to see Autumn play. So let us let, let me dissect that, right? Let me kill okay. that argument real quick. Number first of all, right out of the gate, what did Autumn do this year? She led the Sun Belt Conference, number one in the Sun Belt Conference. In let's rip these off: batting average, OPS, home runs, RBIs, total bases, slugging, walks, and on base percentage. She was number three in the conference in hits, all while ranking just thirty third in the conference in at bats. So she mm-hmm. did the most damage with 32 players having more at-bats, official at-bats, than she did. Now, yes, And that's mainly because of the walks that she had. Right, she let in walks, but still. Um, And number tied for fourth in defensive fielding percentage. So it's not just an offensive outpouring. It was a defensive prowess as well. Mm -hmm. Sets the all-time record in RBIs with, you know, what did I say? It was 70. I don't know what it ended up at, 72, maybe 71. And um, player of the year gets 43 to lead her team. Okay, so here's the Sun Belt tweet that justifies it. It says, Carly Heath of Raging Cajun Softball is the Sun Belt Player of the Year after leading the team in runs, 49, RBI, 43, and total bases, 107. 
And here's where you kill it. All coming against the number four rated strength of schedule in the nation. I had repeatedly had fans telling me, well, this only counts Sunbelt Conference stats. This is all this is, is Sunbelt Conference stats, to which I said, so you're telling me the best team in the conference, which Louisiana is and was, mm-hmm. they are, you're telling me that the best team in the conference has a number four rated strength of schedule against the rest of the conference when everybody they play would lower their strength of schedule, right? Because right. they're the best. So only mm-hmm. people that play Louisiana can have their strength of schedule raised. Yeah, it's, some it's of all bunk, man. Some of them argued against themselves and didn't realize it by saying this only counts conference stuff. Plus, she played against the number four strength of schedule <laughs> in the same tweet to you. Uh, I did not get into any uh, disagreements on there. You know, as most people know, ninety nine percent of the time you're the you're the guy on the the handle. You know, and uh, uh, I did not jump in on any of them or whatever. Uh, I just it it wasn't worth it to me. You know, earlier in the day, I had just come from a sporting, just a cracking time of shooting some fish in a barrel. So I didn't really want to, <laughs> didn't want to hop in and do it again, you know? So um, it just, you cannot argue both. And yeah. when we are talking so well about Autumn Owen, because we saw her, mm-hmm. the same fans have said, well, I didn't see Marshall play a single inning. Right. I didn't see Carly Heath play. Me neither. And that's and that's what we're talking about is you just have to go by the stats when you're talking about that. They said that well she pitched too. She did. She pitched 36 innings, okay? Right. That doesn't really mean anything to me especially since that wasn't even brought up in the the award tweet at all. You know, at all. So, you know, uh, I I just feel like if 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 you're going to equalize you equalize stats are the big equalizer. Yeah. And I didn't see anybody saying, well, Hey, I've done all the homework on Carly Heath, what she has batted in the conference. Cause they did bring up what she did conference only, but nobody compared it to what autumn did conference only wonder why, because it still would have fallen down below what she did. Yeah. I have I have faith in saying that a lot of what uh, Autumn put up, I haven't looked at these stats. I'm just speculating right. based on her overall numbers. I would tend to think that her conference-only numbers would outpace the season numbers for, for in hits and RBIs and things like that. Like, I don't know, but it would either be close or outpace, I would think, because the – the separation between 49 and 72 or 73, that's a lot, man. That's a that's a big difference. So um, I don't – I'm not trying to take anything away from right. Carly Heat. I'm not trying to talk down about her. I think she's that's, a fine player. That's what saying, they were doing. They were they were taking that to heart that we were saying Carly Heath is is bad. We're not. No, it's a no, totally – that's a, that's a different yeah. statement, right? Yeah. And it's, I'm not, it's the I'm, same as when we were talking about uh, – um, Tavion Kinsey going yeah. up against Brown uh, from Louisiana. Tavion's numbers were just that much better than Brown's. Um, Tavion's were better than everybody. And we talked about that uh, with Dave Schultz on, on his podcast too, when he asked us about it. So yeah, I, again, we know that our players were deserving. Our fans know that our players were deserving and Hey, this is something that happens in any award that's given out. Not only do the fans of the team of the winner or the person that should win or whatever, it's a tale as old as time, man. I still get caught up in, 
how many uh, MVPs Ted Williams got robbed of where he came in second. You can make the same case for Mike Trout. It's just uh, it's just one of those things, and yeah. it's never going to be changed. I didn't get involved in any of the arguing over it uh, because I felt like it was pointless. We could we could have pointed out anything in the world and some of those fans, anonymous Twitter users are just not <laughs> going to say anything of, Hey, you make a good point. So, well, you get to the point to where it's obvious that they're just trying to poke you. They just, right. they just want to make you have a response and you're like, all right, I'm bowing out of this now. I made my sure. case. I don't have to keep going. That's I right. made my case and my case is solid and sound based in fact and statistics and yours is based in, well, I don't like your team. So yeah. I'm going to call you names. I'm like, yeah. All right, well, we're done here. Right. Yeah. So there was one more award, right? Coach of the year. Coach of the year. Um, and I feel like that we, that of all the ones that we've talked about, I felt like Megan should have been coach of the year. You set a program record for wins, save the strength of schedule bullshit. You, you set a, you have a really great conference season. Right, a really great conference season. Yes, and you lose to uh, South Alabama head coach. It's not a indictment of the type of coach she is, or whether I like or don't like her. Right, it's not about that. But we had a historic season, and we broke tons of records and mm -hmm. uh, had so many high performing individuals. It was best that it was, it was n really noticeable that the quality of the team that we put on the field. While we didn't know what it was going to look like, she didn't even know what it was going right. to look like, if you remember. That's right. What, what it ultimately ended up doing is just a testament to the job that she, Corey, Maddie, Allie, and the whole staff did there to get the absolute most out of this team for an entire marathon of a season and to put up a win total, 45 and 10, or 45 and 11, whatever it was. And then just to not be wrecked. They were just like, well, sorry, you know, sorry, good job, but we're going to, you know, they, they deserve it. And we eliminate, you know, these awards came out before the tournament. I get it. We eliminated them, you know, so you, again, you go head to head and our side comes out victorious. So, you know, you can only, you can't, you, the only crack that we got at them, we beat them. Right. So they were awarded two of the four awards. And we went one and zero against them in the SBC tournament. So that's really the only thing. Megan's another one that's going to say no. I, she's not going to say, "Well, I deserve that award." She'd rather have the scoreboard do the talking, and it did. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where I hang my hat on that one. Well, let's look at what we lost from the 22, 22 team: uh, Maya Stevenson, Sage Pie, Allie Harrell, mm -hmm. three that are going to be listed as all-time great softball we list or we lost more than that as well but it was a total overhaul on this team defensively uh grace and autumn were kind of the only two i think that came back that were in their positions from last year i think but not counting on the uh in the circle with sid but mm -hmm. uh you know you added a shortstop uh yeah. you got a uh Maybe Riley Lucas was at first a lot last year as well. But anyway, there's a, a big overhaul defensively. Lineup looks a lot different. Remember, you know, you asked her, is this a good different? And she said, 
we'll have to see. Ask me. <laughs> Ask in me in months. a couple of months. Yeah. And so, what you do with an entirely new lineup, entire yeah. new players, and everything, and you go out and set all these records, and I don't think anybody that has any kind of sense is going to look at what we did in the tournament and say, "Nah, they just got by on a low yeah. strength of schedule." Right. They could have said that going in afterwards when you beat uh, South Alabama and you barely lose to Louisiana. I've heard only a couple of people that I don't respect their opinion. People that I do respect their opinion said, hey, they were impressive. I'm a believer. They're legit now. Yeah, And and that takes that. Sometimes they just need to play the game. They need to see it live and go, shit, we were wrong about them. They are good. Yeah. So cool. Here, here's the deal too, and this is slightly more on the team and not on uh, on the coach and everything. But when you're a fan and your team beats either a rival or someone else in an important game or something like that, and you diminish the team that you played, so you talk nothing but trash after the game, not before the game, about how bad that opponent was and all oh, it was all a sham and everything and you barely beat them, what does that say, what you're saying about your team, when I would be saying we were lucky to get out of there, that team's legit, only because our team is so strong were we able to get out of there. That's not what I heard from a lot of people that, again, I don't respect their opinion. (laughs) But (laughs) when I I see, oh, man, we we hit a solo home run to beat them one to nothing, and they were trash. (laughs) What's that say, man? You know, yeah, it says that strength of schedule you want to hang your hat on isn't that damn important, right? Yeah, it's not a good indicator of talent. When you say that you know we hit a solo home run to beat a trash team, that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) It doesn't. That doesn't play, man. That doesn't track at all. Anyway, anyway, let's get off of the. uh, You know, this is now almost a week old, so it's it's nice to have a one last therapy session to get all that out. We do have two more things for softball that we can talk about. And this is uh, uh, five softball players made the SBC all-conference first team. You mentioned four of them, but here they are again. Alex Coleman also made first team. You mentioned up the middle, Grace Chelleman, Sidney Bickle, Autumn Owen, and Sidney Nestor. Yeah, incredible accomplishment. If that doesn't tell you that Marshall's team was legitimate, then I don't know what else will. You're just choosing not to believe it, so that's right. okay. But congratulations to those those gals. I mean, you know, two of those five w- are exhausting eligibility. Uh, the other three, as far as we know, are returning. So you've got to think that Autumn and Bick and Alex are going to be massive cogs in the herd softball machine next year. But what what a career for Sydney Nestor in the circle. What a curtain call season for Grace Chelleman as a outgoing senior. I mean, she was uh, what I would consider a contributor last year. She didn't have a blowout season. The numbers didn't kill you. And remember, we when we interviewed her and talked to her, I gave her her stat line at that point in the season versus what she did the entirety of the year before. And the numbers far outpaced everything she did. And then she continued on to have an, uh, a remainder of a great season. So she she really had a hell of a curtain call season. I'm really happy for her, man. But, uh, you know, replacing Sid Nestor is – that's tough. I mean, that's, that's almost – that's a very daunting task. Yeah. And, and um, you know, Marshall's going to have to find a way to do that. You know, we we mentioned that the portal, um, 
season or the portal opened for softball just this week. And I don't know how long it runs. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming for a while, but uh, we're, we're probably going to have to find someone that's a polished pitcher. You know, Sid came in with good numbers from NC state and she just needed a, a change of venue and, and a breath of fresh air to really reignite that career of hers. And it, boy, that's, did it ever. That's one more point of contention that I didn't bring up, not just fans, but the announcers kept saying that this was her first year with Marshall, that she had just come from NC state she was there all year last year and won Conference yeah. USA newcomer and pitcher of the year. Yeah. You know? So so let me let me well, let's do the last thing and then I'll all tell right. you these are the thing I want to say. All right. So number nine is this is after the tournament finished up. We landed three on the Sunbelt Conference all tournament team, and that is Sydney Nestor. Grace Chelleman and who had a breakout performance, Bree Godfrey. I started calling her breakout Bree Godfrey, man, because damn, that Sunbelt uh, championship game was was big for or, or for Bree. Was it? Wait a minute, was it the uh, set? Maybe it was South Alabama game. South Alabama, yeah, game. South Alabama three for three. Game was, was big for her, man. She broke out big time. Hustle plays, defensive mm -hmm. plays. I mean, you know, we had just talked about in the season regular season finale. She notched her first couple of RBIs on the season. So that last two weeks of the season for Bree was big time, man. So And a true freshman that just turned 18. Yeah, really, really happy for her to get recognized in a big way uh, as part of the Sunbelt All-Tournament team. And, of course, Sydney Nestor proving that she's the pitcher of the year by making it. And uh, Grace just gets one more feather in the cap on to, you know, to cap off a illustrious senior season for the Herd. Just there were a lot of good accolades to close it out. It's just that herd got shafted on the major awards, which is um, you know, pretty pretty terrible in my opinion. But hey, we're not gonna bring that back up. One last thing I want to say about softball before we move into our feature story. Um, they had a tremendous year, right? A tremendous year, and they need to be rewarded for that. And I personally, um, if if I'm not I'm I'm not asking you to do it, Russ, but if you want to do it, that's fine. If if we also want to do it with the podcast, that's fine too. But I uh have decided that I'm gonna donate a dollar for every win that we notched this season. And I'm gonna donate that to the Thunder Trust and I'm going to earmark that. I'm gonna tell them I want that earmarked for softball because they deserve to have a little bit of a uh, pot begin to be built so that they can use for whatever they need to use it for. Right. And uh, let's not forget all the softball games are free. Like they were mm -hmm. free this year. So if you went to a game and they asked you to pay a dollar, you probably would have paid the dollar. So let's just look at it as paying a season's worth of dollars right now in one lump mm -hmm. sum if you can give 10 bucks give 10 bucks if you can give 20 give 20 please just give whatever you, if you can give more then give more but we would really like to build a, a nest egg for herd softball to use in the nil space and we've been told that if you make a donation and you write in the comments or you let them know or whatever that you want this specifically earmarked for softball that it will be treated as such so yeah. i'm going to ask everybody that's able to do that to do that if you want to match the dollar per win like i'm going to do that would be great but please 
please, in the comments, somehow let them know that this is earmarked for softball so we can ensure that it goes to Megan and Corey and that staff so that they can do some of the things maybe that they need to do or that they want to do. And um, I if just think I think that's merited, man, to be able to is. witness all that for free, for free. It's, it's not a huge ask. And I know, you know, some folks will go, man, 45 bucks is that's a big chunk. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. That's fine, man. You can do something and anything is better than nothing. You got to witness history for free, essentially. So let's turn a little bit of that history into some dollars and help out the softball program. Cause I'm, I'm thrilled to say, I want to do this. Uh, I've gotten a lot of enjoyment and I'm down here in Florida. I don't get to go to games all the time. I got to go to one game here in Leesburg, Florida at the beginning of the season in the, one of the tournaments. And then for spring game weekend, I caught a little bit of the first two games. And then we were there for the Sunday finale. And that was 45 bucks worth of fun for me without a doubt. So if you don't want to try to go and do an online donation to the Thunder Trust, you can also just email them uh, and tell them what you're wanting to do. And then they can tell you, you know, hey, check to this, give it to here, this, uh, drop it in the mail to this location, whatever. But yes, tell them that this is specifically for softball. And again, this would go to their NIL fund. This is different than the uh, Diamond Club. Is it yeah, called? the Diamond Club is more for like general operations of the program, things they might need. Just It's a little fund that they can draw from to buy things that they might need. But NIL is becoming important, right? We know that. Mm -hmm. we, can't, we don't have to keep saying that every time that, it, that this topic comes up. But it hasn't really trickled into softball yet that I'm aware of, but it's going to. But it's gonna and Marshall's fielding a really strong team. And it's not like we're saying, well, we need to promise, you know, a million dollars to somebody. Right. But if they can put together something that's just attractive where there is nothing in the space already, then that's a little bit of advantage. If you want to be at the front of the curve, this is the kind of stuff you have to do just to have some type of a package that you can maybe offer someone. And if, if nobody else is offering anything and you're offering something, then that's going to be attractive. So I'm I'm asking, right? I'm 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 asking if you can do anything. If you're a fan of herd softball, I mean, let let's let's. If you're a business owner and you want to get involved in the NIL space and you also love herd softball, get uh, email us thundercast.pod at gmail.com. We'll we will see if we can get something, some idea. We want to talk to you. Let's put it that way. We want to talk to you. But for individual donors, let's do this, man. I got a little bit of money kicking around. I'll I'll donate a dollar a win. If you can donate a quarter a win, a dime a win, it doesn't matter. Something's better than nothing. But we said way back when we started this show, this program has an opportunity to be a cornerstone program for the herd in the Sunbelt Conference, and they absolutely do. They were a few um, hits here and there from hoisting a Sunbelt Conference championship in year one. Mm -hmm. So we, we have the nucleus of players that's right there. We have to identify whatever it is that's going to push us over the hump and get over the hump. And NIL might be the way we do that. So if you want to help out, I encourage you to help out in some way. But let's get these, uh, let's get this coaching staff some more weapons in their arsenal to help us win. Well, we did it again. We reached near an hour on uh, going uh, going into our things. And that's just because we've got a lot to talk about. But yeah, but does... I mean, hey, whatever. That does bring an end to our nine things this week every Herd fan needs to know. <laughs> and as always, brought to you by Ignite Link. Now let's talk feature. Let's talk Herd in the portal.
let's talk more about how the herd freaking dominated the portal uh, after summer school started, which yeah. let's, let's start there. We told okay. you guys pump the brakes. You want to know the news immediately. You know, it just wasn't out there. It's not like we knew it and we're sitting on it. Mm -hmm. This is a strategic approach by our coaching staff to ensure that the guys that we're after, we get to retain by not announcing them until they're enrolled after summer classes. So now that you see that you see some of the names coming across the timeline all week long. Now you start to understand why that's so important because as excited as you are about these guys coming to play for herd, uh, herd football, just imagine how unexcited you would be. If you see that announcement tweet and then two days later, it's flipped to school X because they're not enrolled yet. So we, we know there was a lot of guys that went out. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So I've got a full portal rundown post-national signing day. Okay, let's put it that way. So it's it's actually, let's just do recruiting. There's a couple of high school guys that have committed okay. for the 2023, late, like late 2023, and then the first one for 2024. Uh, back in February 4th, I know that was right before, I think, National Signing Day. But we got a commitment from a kicker punter, Marco Peary, from Norfolk, Virginia, 59175, rated the number five kicker in the 2023 class by National Kicking Rankings and the number seven punter. So there have been several kickers and punters that have come in or will be coming in to compete. This is going to be a highly contested job, it feels like, or two positions that throughout the summer, it feels like. And then the herd received their first commitment of the 2024 class from a high school prospect back on April 16th. Um, Cam Cam Kennard from uh, Hueytown, Alabama. He's a defensive back, six foot two, 180. So there's not a lot out there on him yet because he's a junior. You know, he's going to be entering his senior season of football, and that's usually when you see a lot of the star rankings and things like that happening but there are let me get one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve guys russ 12 guys total that i could find so this is as best that i could find also slightly before no this isn't before national signing day never mind i got them in chronological order right starting in, on april 23rd when we we've mentioned him on the show before as a running back antoine roberts six foot six foot two two hundred from hendersonville uh, he was a 2021 Wisconsin signee, went the JUCO route, and then signed with the Herd from Independence Community College. Uh, then a couple of days later on the 25th of April, we got another kicker slash punter. That was Cameron Lake. We talked about him from, uh, I think it was D2 Washburn University, 6'2", 175, went 8 of 12 on field goals with a 47-yard long and 42 out of 46 on extra points. I'm breezing through the guys we've mentioned a little bit. And then on the 1st of uh, May was tight end Chris Matillo, the six foot six, 258 pounder from Erie, Pennsylvania, from Penn, University of Pennsylvania, then USF, and now to the herd. Just a day later, uh, wide receiver Daryl Simmons, we've talked about six foot two, 210 from Philly, started out with Virginia Tech, then went to Stephen F. Austin, 23 catches for 249 yards and a touchdown in 2022. Same day, the punter from Tennessee, Colby Morgan, 5'11", 200 from Oneida, Tennessee. And then five days later, we get the quarterback that we speculated may not happen, or at least I speculated may not happen. Um, quarterback T.J. McMahon, 6'195", from Rice. He's actually from Anaheim, California, comes over from Rice, where he passed for 2,100 yards, 18 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions in 2022. Let's stop right there and let's examine that. So you bring in a experienced quarterback 
to go toe to toe with Cam Fancher and uh, whoever the at the time number two is. If you think it's Cole, it's Cole. If you think it's somebody else, it's somebody else. So we we lose Cade Cunningham to the portal. We find that he signed with Memphis and Tim Cramsey. So good good uh, good for Cade. Glad to see he found a decent home with coach he's familiar with. But you bring in T.J. McMahon to go seemingly head-to-head with Cam Fancher in the summer. Um, what is your reaction to that? Does this seem like it's a I'm here to vie for the starting spot or I'm here as a solid, experienced number two in case something happens? What's your gut reaction to that? Gut reaction is uh, he's here to push people on the field to be better and that he – probably is not going to be our number one or our number two. Yeah. That's my gut. Well, I feel like he's he's there to push Cam, right, right. to be better, nip at your heels type thing, yeah. to be a better number one, solidify that number one spot. I feel like he's there maybe to be the number two if he performs well in summer session to uh, because he's been in the fire, you know. Mm-hmm. But the stat line here that 18 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, that feels very Grant Wells to me. And that's what people didn't like about Grant is he threw touchdowns, but he threw a lot of interceptions too. So I have I can't say that I am very familiar with TJ McMahon's game. Same, same. I'm not, but just from a knee-jerk reaction, you know, you're an upperclassman, you've been there, you've played a lot of ball, you know the college speed of the game. And we've got Cam Fancher and a bunch of guys that haven't been in that fire. Uh, Cole, you would like to think, would have the leg up because he was on the scout team last year and he was mm-hmm. going up against our defense last year, and that's a good fire to be in to help polish yeah. your game for a season. But still, it, it, and and you're probably right, he's there to push Harrison and Pennington and you know the remaining quarterbacks on the roster to be better. Mm-hmm. But it feels like early on, at least early on, a couple of first three, four games maybe, if something happens to Cam, he gets dinged up against Albany. Mm-hmm. I think you don't risk putting him back in. You just put in McMahon, right? Because that's a game you're probably going to win. Why risk further injury to Fancher? And you've got a quarterback that can come in and run your offense, and it's not going to get rattled in these, you know, in these situations. I will say that I truly believe, and I could never say this honestly about the previous coaching staff, but I truly believe Coach Huff will play the best player that he has the option of playing. Um, and that goes for quarterback as well. So I feel like whoever comes out of there as the number one is going to be a clear number one. Yeah, and um, I would I would say that too. Uh, and when we talked about that last year, it came down so tight between mm-hmm. Cam and uh, Columbia that he, they ended up going with Columbia and experience was the deciding factor is because right. Henry had been in that fire. So in that capacity, skill set wise, they were so close it didn't it, it was you couldn't name a starter. And the determining factor was that well, Henry'd seen a lot more than Cam had. So we feel better at this stage with him. And I think you're right. I think I think Huff will pay play the best eleven at any given time. Yeah. So I'm looking at um just going by stats and this is what we said, you know, if you don't watch, how how could I have known that he was going to be here? So I couldn't have watched four years worth of development and the games and all that. But uh, just looking at the stats, it seems like we're not talking about 
someone that was, you know, throwing for 40 touchdowns a game. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. I just don't see what he brings stat wise to automatically say, man, that's a, that's a no brainer. He should be number one. So he's going to be coming in, in my opinion, behind not just the first two behind the first, maybe even three or four, because he's got to know our system. Uh, got to learn all this stuff. He wasn't here for spring ball, that sort of thing. It just all points to, he's going to be behind. And that's why I feel like he is there with experience. He is there with leadership. He has been in uh, big crowds before that sort of thing, but he's going to be behind and pushing these other guys that are going to be ahead of him. And if he does enough to pass them up, then you're going to have a very, very good, talented quarterback there to leapfrog that many people. Yeah. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, right? But no, but, no. Like you said, we, we don't he wasn't know anything here for, about him. He, wa- he wasn't here for spring ball. These other guys were here last year. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just he's behind. Yeah, that's, he is behind. That's, and that's fair to say. That's because yeah. he wasn't here. So, obviously. That's right. But <laughs> – I haven't watched him play because we were so happy to not have to watch Conference USA football. <laughs> Even if I had the opportunity to watch, I probably would not have. But anyway, right. uh, that's a little joke, of course. Uh, we're really happy to have him here, of course. And and if he can help the herd win, that's that's what it's all about. And one thing that we, you know, this kid may be like a legitimate, like excellent teacher. So he could be like having another coach from a quarterback standpoint to work with these young guys, he just also has the capability and he, and the ability to play. Yeah. So I don't know what he, what else he brings. That's not physical tools, right? He, he could be exactly what that quarterback room needs to notch it up. So either way you slice it, I'm happy to have him. And, uh, I'm intrigued by the quarterback room. I, I, you know, a lot of people have said it just got interesting. Well, I mean, it got, it, it got a storyline. Maybe I don't, I still think this is Cam Fancher's team. How do you mm-hmm. come in and then just unless you blow it out of the water and Cam doesn't, then how do you set down a six win starter and, yeah. you know, bowl game winner. And, you know, I mean, I just don't think you can do that. So anyway, moving on, we talked about Cade Conley also came, uh, gave his commitment on May 8th, six foot four, 242 pound, another tight end from central Michigan from, Williamston, Michigan, 11 catches for 168 yards in 10 games last year, but he was also academic all Mac. So uh, the tight end room just keeps getting crowded. We love that. I think that's one of the most interesting storylines of this off season. I'm so, uh, I'm just so taken aback by that really. And then comes the string, I guess, after the big visit weekend, right? Which was almost a week ago, five, whatever, how many days ago? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a slew of what could be mega impact players. And it started on May 11th with linebacker Stephen Dix Jr., the six foot two, 236-pound linebacker from Orlando, Florida. Went to Dr. Phillips High School. And I don't know if you guys know much about Florida High School football. Dr. Phillips High School is one of those kind of powerhouse Florida um, high schools that you know, is in that short conversation with places like St. Thomas Aquinas and, you know, that those types of places like that. Uh, comes to us from Florida State. So the Florida State pipeline continues. Interesting career with the Knowles, right? Nine games and five starts in 2020 as a freshman. He was third on the team in tackles with 45 tackles. He was a rival's 
all freshman all American. And then in 2021, he played 12 games, only notched 14 tackles, and had was a heavy special teams contributor. Then in 2022, he missed the entire season with injury. So it's it's one of those bounce back stories that we're hoping we saw, like just like Kalen, right? Kalen had a was kind of under the same type deal storyline, injuries and adversity, and comes here, breath of fresh air, and bam, you know, 1,500-yard season. Um, Dix was a former four-star recruit coming out of high school, the number 14-rated outside linebacker in the state of Florida, and uh, he was number 240 in the 24-7 sports top 247. So that's a pretty big deal. That's pretty impressive. This guy can play. And when you get to put him alongside guys like Eli Neal, that's the perfect type of accent to um, Eli. So these two guys, and, you know, we're going to talk about another linebacker as well as, you know, guys like Tom Tom McBride that that are also here that we could have a very, very dangerous linebacking core. Uh, Just a day later, you get a commitment from defensive back Miles Bell, the six-foot, 187-pounder from Plantation, Florida, comes over from UConn, who – you know, we played in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, so he got to see the herd up close and personal. Just four games in 2022, 10 total tackles, an interception, and three pass breakups. Looks like a solid depth builder at the defensive back position. Uh, we've brought in some guys, and we expect some guys from last year's team to really notch up again. Uh, it's not going to be easy to replace Stephen Gilmore, but I think there are some guys on the roster that are going to make that secondary really, really good. Then a day after that, on uh, May 13th, you get a commitment from another linebacker, Landon Watson, six foot three, 255 pounds from Round Rock, Texas, comes over from TCU. And not, not a place that I saw the herd pulling from the portal, but we get not one, but two guys. We'll talk about the second here in a second. Uh, two games in 2022, did not record a tackle. 2021, got one game, but that was his redshirt season. Also, a former four-star recruit, get this, was the number five weak side defensive end prospect in the state of Texas and the number 32 prospect in America. Now he plays linebacker. So an interesting hybrid type guy. We can see what he does for the herd. Does he come down and put his hand in the ground or does he play alongside, you know, Eli and the rest of that linebacking core or a little of both? Interesting prospect there. Uh, and you love the build. Six foot three, 255. Holy moly. Same day, uh, defensive end Jabar, Jabari Ishmael, six foot five, 245 from Miami, Florida, from the U. Um, interesting bio here let me let me run this down for you 2021 got one game 2022 was a red shirt also a former four-star athlete number 197 overall in the espn top 300 224 in the 27 sports top 247 this is all positions guys uh, nationwide rated the number 31 and number 32 player respectively in florida by both of those recruiting agencies espn and 24 7 sports Rated number 20 by ESPN, number 15 by 24-7 as a weak side defensive end, and the number 12 strong side defensive end by rivals. I mean, you're ranking high at several positions and overall. This guy could be lightning in a bottle. To tap to top it all off, he's the son of a strength and conditioning coach, uh, Victor Ishmael, at the U. So you know the kid knows how to work, Right. The upside is tremendous here, and, I mean, 
I bet they were happy to bring in a guy 6'5", 245, you know, with that type of uh, work ethic to cut him loose and be part of a, another violent and disruptive herd defensive line. Could you imagine these guys going, lining up next to, you know, Gibb and Tyquez and Porter and <laughs> uh, Austin? It's going to be pretty exciting. You know, it's going to be pretty exciting. This herd defense is going to be going to be something. Last prospect we got on the week last week was another offensive lineman, which we've talked about many, many times. Again from TCU, mm-hmm. Altreek Barlow from Virginia Beach, Virginia. I bet those 757 guys aren't liking that, that we were able to pull him to Huntington instead of landing at like Old Dominion or something like that. 2022 TCU uh, roster lists him as a sophomore. He got 10 games, played 66 of his 67 snaps on special teams. 2021, five games. Uh, He was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. ESPN rated him the number 28 offensive guard in America. Six foot five, 360. What? That's the type of size you want to see opening up holes for Rasheen Ali, A.J. Turner, and maybe even Cam Fancher. But that was the week in the portal. I mean, it was, it's all defense, you know, linebacker, D-back, linebacker, defensive end, well, and one offensive lineman. Uh, if you had the herd taking two from TCU on your portal bingo card, congratulations, because that might be the most surprising thing to come out of the portal moves by the herd this season. That's your portal wrap-up now. Russ, give me some thoughts on this class so far. We don't know that they're done yet. There's still time to add. Size, size on the line. That's that's what I'm looking at. Uh, when way back when at the start of this show in April of last year, we talked about Coach Huff when he came here. He said there is we're looking for a certain size of our linebackers. We're looking for a certain size of our defensive backs. Certain size of our defensive linebackers. I mean defensive linemen. Um, all of this is showing right here i mean we have brought in some huge offensive linemen some huge defensive linemen some big time linebackers um i don't care at this point this sounds totally different than what i said about the qb on the stats don't show Mm -hmm. i don't care what their stats were here because we're talking about two separate things a quarterback is totally different than how many touches a defensive back has um so I am just thrilled that we are bringing in depth. We are bringing in experience. We are bringing in more than anything size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, you would like to think the competition just notched up big time on the offensive line and the defensive line. I mean, there's only so many snaps in a game. That's right. And if you've got a lot of top tier talent, that's all vying to be on that field, man, this is a good problem to have for the herd. And as good as their defensive line was last year, they could be even more disruptive this year. I mean, they could. The linebackers could be uh, more athletic. I mean, you think about losing a guy like A. Boplan, who was an unbelievably high performer across two conferences for the Herd for a number of years, and then you bring in guys that could potentially be just as impactful. I don't know how you aren't excited about that if you're a herd football fan, right? We yeah. were worried, will they be able to sustain? And now I'm wondering, could they be even more, uh, like, do they have more team speed on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball? Could they be even 
more violent? Could they be even more disruptive? I mean, this this could be something that's you think you don't get better, but you know, you don't win games on ratings, right? Star ratings are star rate. It doesn't matter until you go toe-to-toe with the guy in front of you and you win those individual battles. Yeah. Right. We know that. We're not crowning the herd right now. But I feel a lot better about what we look like going into the summer this week than I did two weeks ago. Yeah. Right. So I think you're right, man. The size really gets you. Six five three sixty. Damn. I mean, damn. <laughs> I think it was three seventy, wasn't it? I don't know. I wrote down three sixty. So if he's got okay. another ten pounds, okay, whatever. But yeah, we'll we'll get him that. <laughs> but the I best put on about, I put on ten pounds like nothing. I know that he can do it. But the best part about this is this is one of those things. This is portal guys. So they've been in programs. They've been yep. in weight rooms. Their bodies don't have to transform like we heard Huff talk about before. Mm-hmm. You know, as an incoming freshman from high school, these bodies are transformed and they're ready for the speed of the game. They're ready for the the uh, rigors of the season and the off-season workouts and all of that. They're ready for that. So this is potential for instant, instant impact, not just stud freshman instant impact. This is a totally different potential here. And uh, having Rashin Ali back healthy, you know, the continued trajectory of, of Cam Fancher, I would be lying to you if I, if, if I wouldn't, if I didn't tell you, I would still love to see, you know, like, a really big wide out get added, just somebody, yeah. you know, a huge well, target, just a huge target. And we brought one in. I think we brought in a six foot four guy or something like that. But, you know, until I, until I dissect the entire class as a whole and, and start to look at everything, I would like to have, you know, a bigger, another big weapon in the passing game come here. Yeah. So we uh, famously have brought in quite a few tight ends. <laughs> uh, we've talked about that. But uh, I think out of all this, it seems like we have a wide receiver that needs to be brought in. Mm-hmm. Out, out of all this, I think defense has outpaced the offense a little bit as far as the depth that we've brought in. Uh, I would, I'm not worried about the, the wide receiver room, but I'm with you. I've, it almost feels like that's something that's lacking that would still be a target between now and the start of the season that we bring in a wide out. I mean, we've talked about it. It's not like the room is bare, right? There's a it's lot not, of, no. there's a lot of talent there, yeah. but you, none of these guys currently on the roster that aren't six, four are just mm-hmm. going to magically grow to six, four. That's right. what I'm saying. There's some, there's just that, just that extra safety valve of the throw it up and catch it guy or the, you know, the back corner end zone guy. That, mm-hmm. that guy, you know, a situational player maybe. But there's there's so many players in the portal, you know, hopefully if they're targeting one, they may not be targeting any more wide receivers. They may feel great about where we are. And I, and I trust them, our coaching staff, far more than I could ever trust my own ability to recruit a roster, right? But uh, the fan in me just gets excited about, you know, these measurables and to a certain degree statistics. And if there's one out there, I would like to see us take a flyer on somebody and see if we can get just another weapon in here. Uh, but we know we're going to be a run-heavy team. We know we're going to be a great defense team, and that's where we're going to hang our hat on. That's what we hung our hat on last year, mm-hmm. and it worked. You know, it worked. So, you know, you're 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 a bad play here and there from being a 10-plus win ball team. You're a bad quarter away from playing in a Sunbelt title game. So – you know, you you were right there anyway. This is not a complete rebuild. This is just a reload in in many instances. So, I like what we're doing. I really am excited about this. Uh, all these defensive guys we brought in, and I'm excited to see the you know the further development of 
this storyline as the summer goes along and we get yeah. into position group breakdowns. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about this team. So do you have anything else on this uh, feature on the, on the people that are brought in? No, the only thing is I wish that I knew if we were at our scholarship limit or not, or if we still had some available, but I don't. Um, I don't, I don't know that either, but I do know that the number that departed was 19 and we have not brought in 19. Yeah. Uh, so, but I also don't know if someone's been awarded a scholarship that they were previously a preferred walk on or things like that. So that's what I mean. I don't know yeah. how they've divvied those things back up or reallocated sure. them. So yeah. I can't say, Oh, we've got five scholarships left. Cause I don't yeah. know that, but right. I wish I did. But in, anyway, we'll, we'll just continue to talk about these things whenever we see them float across, but no, I've got nothing else. If you've got nothing, let's take it around to earth. Yeah, so we talked about a lot of this, but let's talk about the track and field at the SBC Championships. We brought home two golds. We had a lot of other uh, placing and scoring and things, and uh, I think we finished, was it sixth overall for the the women? I think the women finished sixth, yeah. Men finished a little lower, maybe tenth. Yeah, but first year... Uh, that the men have had uh, and haven't had a full year being here, but first year that they've been uh, in the Sunbelt Conference and first time they've been back, you know, yeah. that started in January. Uh, so I think it was a good showing. You know, yeah. I was I was really, uh, I, I, I'm not going to say disappointed. I was just shocked that uh, uh, Brett Armbruster did not bring home the gold. I, I, I thought that was one of the things that you and I were both talking about and expecting, but uh, we had a great showing across the board. Um, I think a lot to build on for next year and uh, it's going to be fun to watch the, the girls and the guys. Yeah. I think what I said was that the pole vault and uh, Brett's Men's race, eight, what was it? 800? The eight, 800 meter. The 800 were our two best opportunities to win an individual title. Uh, I felt like the pole vault was our best and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the men's side, I thought Brett had the best opportunity to, to capture one, but you know, fell short, but that's okay. We still won three. I did not see Micah Lane winning, and that was a that was a really great surprise. And then you add on a few bronzes there, and yep. bam, all of a sudden it's a pretty solid showing. I mean, pretty happy about that. Some uh, personal bests were set, and some school records were set, so it's a great time to do it. Yeah. Uh, you have some camp news here, uh, so let's talk about these. Uh, what do you want to start with first? Well, I just kind of wrote them down in any no real order. I just kind of okay. searched the Twitter accounts. Of, and But I'll start with baseball by just okay. by happenstance. Baseball's camp, the youth camp, there's going to be two of them. It'll be uh, June 26th through June 28th, and then another July 10th through July 12th. Both camps are going to be at the Ona Little League Complex. It's $125 bucks, uh, for each camp, and that covers you know the entire – weekend uh, ages 9 through 12 i'm sorry uh, time is 9 to 12 ages 7 to 12 9 a.m to noon ages 7 to 12 years old the prospect camp for the herd baseball team uh it's two one-day camps august 19th and then again on october 15th both of those will be at the kennedy center uh it's, there was a price range so i don't know if this how this works out it says 150 to 250 dollars so I don't know if it's 150 for one. If you want to go to both, it's 250. I don't know that. It just said you know one to 250. Uh, for ages uh, 14 to 18, there were no 
there was no contact info. I'm guessing you can get it all on Herd Zone or through the social media links because there were links on the Herd Baseball Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Next is the Volleyball Setters and Hitters Camp. It's on July 14th at the CAM. I'm assuming it didn't say, but where else would it be? Uh, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Cost is 100 bucks. It's an 8:30 a.m. check-in, and if you're going to take part, bring lunch. Lunch is not included in the cost of the camp. Um, men's basketball has got their team camps. Middle school team camp is on June 15th, and the high school camp is on June 16th and or June 17th. It says, if you're interested in taking part in the men's basketball team camp, you can uh, click the email address on the men's basketball Twitter account, but it is skags14 at marshall.edu. There was no pricing info in the tweet. Uh, So if you want info, that's how you're going to have to get it. Next is the softball summer elite camp, session one uh, and session two. Session one is on June 12th. That's the hitting slash gameplay camp, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Session two is the next day, June 13th. That's your defense slash gameplay camp, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Individual sessions are 175 bucks, or you can get both sessions for 300 bucks. And if you do both sessions, you also get a free camp T-shirt. Uh, this camp is for rising seventh graders and up. I'm assuming it's at the dot. It didn't say, but again. Where in the hell else would it be? Uh, you can contact Corey Lyon at lyonc at marshall.edu if you have direct questions about the camp. For registration, you can go to Herd Zone and there is a link to register for the camps. Also available on Herd Softball so- social media links. They've tweeted about it just as all of our teams have. So if you were interested in any of the camps that I just talked about, go to the social media pages. And click the or herd zone and click the links to get yourself registered. You got to imagine that these camps are going to fill up relatively quickly, all of them, because they're usually pretty big successes as it is. That's right. But, but in particular, I would think that the baseball prospect camp with the new stadium being built is going to be a hot one to be a part of. The softball camp, based on the season that they just had, is going to be a hot one to be a part of. And uh, I wouldn't wait to get in in on both of those you've taken part well not you haven't but you've done uh some volleyball camps caitlin has a couple of times and and mm-hmm. those are always well attended you talked about how big crowd was so oh it's huge and it's, it's such to see those kids i mean getting to interact with the players and everything and uh hopefully both girls are going to go to the volleyball again this year but uh yeah i'm i'm i can't say enough about what taking a kid to this uh it gives them instruction it gives them something fun to do and it makes them a herd fan yeah now this volleyball camp in particular it it didn't give me an age group it didn't say right so um, i don't know if this is a prospect camp or like just for you know are you talking about the one day thing yeah that's not the that's not the same as what uh so it was a five day uh thing so that is more for like a prospect uh, camp yeah so it's more for uh you know, that specific learning that thing, but the other is for more of youth, uh, lower ages. And, I mean, didn't uh, they call that like the little herd camp or something like something. that? So, so and, it really indicated that it was for, for kids of all ages. And and they have that out. It's just not something that's been released here recently uh, yeah. because we, I think we've already signed up or maybe we haven't signed up for it. We've 
allocated that week will she'll be there but. sure i got you so it's camp season so if you if you're an athlete in the tri-state area or you're interested in getting seen by our herd coaches you better take part in these camps because that's the best way to get their eyes on you and to get familiar with our facilities and what we do around here register for the camps now before the space fills up because they are going to go quick for us, do you have anything else if you don't i got one other thing if you want to talk about but i can it can be like in my final words Yes, uh, uh, we need to talk about baseball. Okay. Uh, and baseball, they're on a losing streak right now. And we've, we've talked about it. We hope that they come out of it. But they lost to Ohio 7-2, lost to Moorhead State, and then 6-2. to two, They got swept by Troy over the weekend, 7-6, to 6-3, to 4-2. Uh, yesterday's game uh, with Moorhead State um, lost that. Uh, or they didn't get to play that game. It got lost due to rain, uh, horrible weather yesterday afternoon. And they are finishing up the season by heading to Coastal Carolina for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That'll be the last three times anybody that's down in that Myrtle Beach, Conway area, hopefully you can go by and get a glimpse of the 22 herd. Yeah. Or 23 herd. I'm sorry. It's been a struggle down the stretch for her baseball it's kind of disheartening i hate it for those guys you know especially the seniors that have have dealt with so much over the past couple of years and and um to have i mean like to have the you know final finger quotes what we think will be the final game at the kennedy center just be canceled it just seems like well that fits it's fitting you know so it's just a it's just a rough way to end the season for the guys. I feel I I truly feel bad for them because they work hard just like everybody else does. They're not seeing the results play out on the field. Well, and you that's know, frustrating. I, I I'm a stats guy with the baseball, softball kind of sports. You know, I am. We've talked about that for decades now. But I was going through the stats, and a couple of things leapt out at me. Um, our top three starters who had um, the majority of the game started this year. They have a combined ERA of over five. Yeah. And as a team, our ERA is like 6.28 or 6.29, something like that. We hit 91 batters in 50 games. 91. And our opponents, I think, hit us, maybe it was 32 four times or something like that, but huge discrepancy, but we're hitting almost two batters a game and uh, pitching was one of those things where we were stronger last year in, in r- scoring runs and uh, batting Luke Edwards was off the charts last year with uh, getting on base for, I can't remember how many games it was now. It's like span- 60, right? Yeah. Span multiple seasons. Um, but the pitching did not uh, hold up this year. We had some um, great starts. If you remember when uh, Patrick Copen was down mm-hmm. at facing that murderer's row lineup of uh, Old, Old Dominion. Dominion. Yeah. And, you know, so we've had, it seems like these great spots that they're hitting for multiple innings, a full game, whatever, and then just they hit a rough patch with it. Uh, so hopefully we can improve our pitching next year and that will drastically improve what we have going on. But uh, we had a lot of 
and again, the, game, the season's not over, but we're down to the final three games. But we had a lot of even uh, production from RBI standpoint spread out, but it's just not enough contributors when you're giving up six and a half runs a game on average. Yeah, you know, it, it seemed like we would catch a lead early, and mm-hmm. then the second time through the lineup, these yeah. hitters were – you know, getting a feel for our pitchers right. and they would make that, I don't want to call it a comeback because it's just the second time through the lineup. So right. yeah. they would kind of figure it out a little bit more and then they would start to put runs on the game in the fourth, fifth, sixth inning. And we would see our leads evaporate and that's rough, man. That's a rough way to go. And to have to face coastal Carolina, one of the top teams in the country, not just the Sun Belt, but in the country to close out your season is not the, uh, is not ideal. Right. But Hey, this is a great way to go in there and I mean, can you imagine, just imagine for a second, you know, don't laugh at me. Just imagine you go in there and you sweep coastal Carolina and you think, damn, what, what a way to close out the season. Yeah. Could you imagine the ripples that that would put through the Sunbelt conference, yeah. you know, say, holy crap, I can't believe that just happened. So yeah. the season's not over. They can still go in there and really make a headline to close it out and, and send our seniors out the right way. And, you know, really like in the season with as much of a smile as you can put on your face, given what the overall record and the fact that you're not going to be in the SEC SBC tournament means, you know, you can, you can still do something that makes you feel good inside. And we just honored eight uh, seniors uh, on for soft or for baseball. And uh, I really hate too that those eight will not get to play on this new field. That's yeah. I mean, if if you're watching, uh, the press box is going up. I mean, you know, they're they're way ahead of what I what I think uh, that I would have expected where they would be. So, uh, switching over to softball, we discussed that a lot already. I'm just going to run over the scores, but we've already talked everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too, but uh, they beat Coastal in the opening uh, game for them, second round of the tournament since they got a bye. Uh, on Thursday of last week, they beat Coastal two to one. Uh, the very next day, they beat South Alabama and the Pitcher of the Year uh, three to two, and then they lost in the championship game, as we discussed, one to nothing. And yep. other than what you have, that's all I have for taking it around the herd. Yeah, this is just one cool note, right? That I saw over the past couple of days. Um, the Music City Collegiate League, right? Yep. Uh, we've are, I think Brooklyn Ulrich is going to go play for the Smoky Mountain Rain yeah. already, I believe is mm-hmm. where she's going to go. Well, the same team, the Smoky Mountain Rain, announced yesterday or the day before maybe that our very own Grace Chelleman is going to be the head coach this year for uh, the Smoky Mountain Rain in the Music City Collegiate League summer. I guess it's just a summer team. But uh, what a cool opportunity for Grace. You know, you immediately uh, graduate, exhaust your playing eligibility, and you get your first head coaching gig in a summer league. You got to think this is a great opportunity to get some eyeballs on you uh, from other NCAA coaches to see, you know, what you've got. And having the um, Megan Smith Lion coaching tree branch out, that's good. That that that's cool, man. That's super cool. And I saw, I haven't seen anything officially, right? But even Grace alluded to this, that it it appears that our very own Cam Mahalis is going to be an assistant coach alongside Grace with the Smoky Mountain Rain. So a very 
Thundering Herd Field on that collegiate team or that collegiate summer league team. Um, and I think season. one of one of their opponents, another team in that league, has another um, player from the herd. I just don't think that it's been announced, but it seems to me like when we were discussing some things, uh, not when you were in, but uh, mm-hmm. with the, the parents of the softball, I cannot remember who it is, so I don't want to say, but uh, I think that there is somebody playing for another team in that league. Yeah. So. Well, uh, cool, man. That's just cool news. So yeah. uh, I'm excited for Grace. I'm glad she gets to lead a team. Uh, it's a pretty cool opportunity for Cam, too, considering she just still gets to come back and play yeah. for the herd. Uh, but awesome, man. I, I've I've learned. I've been trying to, I guess, since we talk about softball a lot on the Twitter account, like, you know, mm-hmm. how the algorithm is. It's like, well, yeah. you talk about softball, you must like everything about softball. So yeah. I've learned that there's like a Florida league down here, too, and they've got some pretty cool teams that are fairly close to my area like there's one in Bradenton and Sarasota and stuff like that and so you know maybe we'll have an opportunity to get some uh players to be a part of the Florida softball league too and you know I can catch some of those games at times and and you know be able to watch our players play outside of the herd because that would be pretty right. cool but if you got nothing else man let's take it out of here no so whether you see us over at the cam whether you see us at the dot whether you see us at the joan or whether you see us ponying up one dollar for every win that we had in softball last year and earmarking that with the thunder trust to go to a softball nil no matter where you see us we're going to be screaming go herd go herd it's the thundercast we'll see you next week later